1: Two guests on the show today, neither of whom is Cooley. Uh, He's at Disney World this week with his family, and he told me earlier in the week, he goes, look, I I could put something together, but it's not going to be very good. I don't have any time to prepare. We've got holidays. We've got kids. We've got Disney World. And I said, no worries. Hopefully, we'll catch up with him next week. However, Logan Paulson. Uh, another former tight end, uh, and a frequent guest on both the radio show and the podcast, will be with me here shortly. We'll get his thoughts on Carson Wentz uh, entering the starting lineup and his preview of the Browns' uh, Skins game Sunday. And then Tim Murray will jump on uh, with me in the final segment where I'll have uh, a smell test as well. But I'm going to give out right now for those of you that are going to catch the show just in time, maybe just in time, Uh, One of the smell test picks, Maryland plus one and a half and the under 46 in the Dukes Mayo Bowl in Charlotte, which starts at noon Eastern Maryland plus one and a half and the under 46 in the game. Um, Looking forward to actually that bowl game, trying to wrap up this podcast, get it out for you. Uh, But a lot of you won't hear that portion of the smell test until later today when the game's over or even uh, tomorrow morning. But plenty more uh, uh, with respect to smell test picks for bowl games and a lot of NFL games on Sunday as well. Uh, and that's where we will start. Washington against Cleveland Sunday. Uh, a lot riding on this game. You know, I got uh, a couple of tweets from people suggesting that this move by Ron Rivera is basically, you know, a final straw move. Like it's high risk. Like if it doesn't work out, that's it for Ron. You know, it's on him to make a quarterback change of this significance this late in the year with the two most meaningful games of the year coming up. Playoff fate to be determined, and he's making a quarterback change. Shame on him. He better be right. Uh, I don't see it that way at all. I just don't see this as being a very controversial decision. I don't see this as being a high-risk decision. You know, I think there was a time there a few weeks ago that it would have been high risk because of maybe what the rest of the team would have thought in the moment. Um, But they're 0-2-1 in their last three games. They're struggling offensively, even though Taylor Heineke, I think, played the best game of the year for the first three quarters against the 49ers. But they can't score. They're not scoring enough. They're not good offensively. They're not good along the offensive line, and they have not been good or good enough at quarterback. They do have a lot of weapons offensively. Um, Tommy and I talked about that on the show yesterday about, you know, the truth is this team's closer roster-wise than they've been in a long time. And a lot of it has to do with what they have at the skill position players, uh, skill, skill positions, excuse me, on offense. But this is a, to me, you know, again, I don't have a problem with it. I'm fine with it probably would have leaned in this direction, but I'm okay either way because I think it's a six and one half dozen the other. It's kind of the same way they've played these games for the last two months. It's like a coin flip. I don't think it's going to be dramatically better um but i am certainly uh, sure that it's not going to be dramatically worse I, I feel more confident about that than i do about it could be dramatically better we kind of t- discussed that yesterday i think the odds are you know slightly better that it could be much improved versus much worse uh, i just th- there's i think it's going to be A lot of what we've seen, if they stick with the formula, it's going to be a couple of coin flip games depending on what Dallas has. And they won last night. Now you've got to root for the Saints to lose to Philly Sunday and for Philly to end the division and then for Dallas to have nothing to play for in the season finale. By the way, I thought that game last night was ugly from a Dallas standpoint. You know, two more picks for, for Dak Prescott. I don't trust Dallas at all um, when they get to the postseason. I also thought of one other quick thing as I bounce around here. Um, are they going to want basically two and a half weeks to elapse between their last game, which is last night, and their next game, which would be a playoff game, without playing their starters if they decide to sit their starters, if they have nothing to play for against Washington? Like I was thinking maybe they'll play their starters for a half. Because it'll be a 12-day layoff for 11 to 12 days from last night to next Sunday. And I don't know if they want to go two and a half weeks without playing their starters before a playoff game. Uh, if they had played on Sunday, maybe they would have treated it like a normal bye week. But this would be, you know, like a bye and a half here having played last night. But back to Washington, I just don't see the quarterback move as a risky move. I don't see this as a move that Ron's going to be judged on. Ron's going to be judged more on the acquisition of Wentz, you know, and the decision to kind of put all of his eggs in the Wentz basket before the year started, even though it didn't really play out that way because of the injury, um, Than he will in going to Wentz here over the final two games. That's the way I see it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not. If it doesn't work out and they don't win against Cleveland or they you know win against Cleveland, don't win against Dallas and they don't make the postseason, I don't think from my standpoint I'm going to sit here and think it was because of the quarterback switch. Um. All right. How do they beat Cleveland? Washington beats Cleveland. Uh, if a couple of things happen. Number one is this. They run the football. Cleveland has the 30th ranked rush defense per football outsiders and their DVOA metric. They've lost a bunch of players, by the way, especially linebackers this year, like three or four linebackers injured and out. They've had major issues against the run this year. New Orleans rushed last week in that bad weather game for 152 against the Browns. They only threw it 15 times against Cleveland and won 17 to 10. I know the weather had a lot to do with that. The Ravens the week before. For that, averaged seven yards per carry and rushed for 198 yards in a loss, but they ran the football at will. By the way, with a uh, a team with Tyler Huntley, where they weren't much of a threat to throw the football, so Cleveland knew the run was coming at them and still couldn't stop it. Joe Mixon rushed for nearly seven yards a carry three weeks ago in the Bengals' win over the Browns. They can't stop the run. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is this week. And Scott Turner said yesterday they're going to stick with this kind of formula. The formula that they have pretty much employed even before Taylor took over. You started to see signs that they wanted to play this way. It shouldn't matter who the quarterback is this week. They should run it until Cleveland stops it. And Cleveland probably won't. Number one, Washington beats Cleveland if they run the football. Number two, Washington beats Cleveland if they stop the run. Cleveland has the fifth-ranked rush offense in the NFL in terms of average yards per game. Eighth in DVOA. The key to their run game is Nick Chubb. Chubb's third in the league in rushing with 1,344 yards. He averages nearly five yards a carry. He's at like 4.95 yards per carry. He leads the league in rushes of 20 plus yards with 12 of them. Third in the league in yards after contact. Fifth in the league in broken tackles, you've got to stop Nick Chubb. If that's the way they decide to go, I know there's been some some discussion here, and I had Joe Thomas on the radio show this morning, the you know sh- the lock hall of famer in his first year of eligibility, had him on the radio show this morning. You can listen to that at theteam980.com, had Mary Kate Cabot on the show earlier in the week on radio, and they both said that there's going to be an emphasis on getting Deshaun Watson ready for next year and that he's been progressing. So maybe they don't focus on what they should focus on, which is is their best chance to win at least the way I see it based on the way Watson has played and that's Chubb. So if they go Chubb, Chubb can win the game along with another player they have on defense. He can give them almost, you know, a chance to win the game by himself. You can't let him go for, you know, a buck 80. You know, in 6 yards a carry. They got to stop Nick Chubb. They got to stop the run if they're going to beat Cleveland. You're in good shape. If you can stop the run, I think, because I just haven't seen Watson look like the Watson of old. You know, maybe others have, and Mary Kay Cabot sort of suggested that we've, you know, that they've seen more from Deshaun Watson that looks like Deshaun Watson versus maybe the first two games. And who knows? Maybe Deshaun Watson comes out and he's slinging it around the park and he's using his legs and running. But really, Cleveland's ticket offensively has been Nick Chubb. Uh, stop the run, run the football. Number three, you could say that the two best players in this football game are Nick Chubb and Miles Garrett. Now, John Allen would have an argument. Deron Payne would have an argument. Terry McLaurin would have an argument. Uh, But Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb are both players totally capable of impacting the final result of this game. Miles Garrett is a total game wrecker. He's been playing well recently, too. Five of his 13.5 sacks have come in his last five games. If Washington can't run the ball successfully, which every team's been able to do, and you got to drop any quarterback back uh, then you bring into play Miles Garrett wrecking the game. A big key to Sunday, by the way, is Jadavian Clowney. He looks like he could be out, and if he's out, then all of the emphasis goes on Garrett. It doesn't have to also um, go on Clowney at the other defensive end spot. You know they can chip him, they can double him, they can do their best to to not let him wreck the game if they've got to drop back and throw. But Miles Garrett is an emphasis in this game if they want to win the game. They can't let him wreck a game. You know, seeing Carson Wentz in third and 15 drop back with 95 bearing down, hitting him, stripping him, the ball bouncing out, and somebody from Cleveland picking it up and running it down to the three-yard line is something that Garrett can do, something Bosa can do. They're very similar. Bosa ruined the game in the fourth quarter if you thought Washington had a chance. Not much of a chance, but totally took the game over. Uh next up. You know, special teams really hurt Washington last week. You know, they don't need special teams to help them to beat Cleveland, but they can't have special teams hurt them against Cleveland. The two big penalties, the wild goose penalty, the Butler penalty, at the Butler penalty was a little bit ticky-tack. Um you know they had a bad return on a kickoff by gibson they had nothing out of their punt return game they had a shitty onside kick uh you got to be you know at least net neutral in your special teams area you can't lose th- you know 30 yards on two penalties um on coverage or return lastly Washington beats Cleveland, and this is going to sound sort of against the grain contrarian. Washington beats Cleveland if Carson Wentz doesn't play it so safe. I have this fear that Carson Wentz has lost some confidence and he's going to play this game nervously and he's going to play this game, you know, conservatively because that's kind of the, what they want him to do now. They've got this formula and I want the formula. I want the run first. I want Brian Robinson for 25 carries in the game, especially if Gibson isn't playing and he might not. Um, And, you know, injuries could be a major factor in this game, and I didn't mention it, but the injuries to their secondary, Cam Curl being back would be a huge plus. Derek Forrest was on the injury report yesterday. St. Juice the same. They they need to be healthy on defense. But um, I just don't want Carson Wentz to just, when they do have play action, play it safe and hit the check down consistently. I want to see him do what they are putting him in the game to do, which is to stretch the field when the field can be stretched. You know, take some shots. Be aggressive on some of those play actions. You know, you've got the weapons. This team's good on defense. This team has really good playmakers on offense. He's in the game in part because they haven't generated enough offense, and they had a guy that was physically limited offensively. So within the constraints of the formula – You know, the run-first formula, staying ahead of the chains, etc. I just want him to be aggressive when the opportunity is there to be aggressive. Play action, separation with receivers, throwing into tight windows if he has to. I don't want him to play nervously that way. Um, Because that's essentially what you hope he's going to give you, which would not only give you a chance to win two games, but to potentially be a threat When you get to the postseason on offense. Final score prediction. 24-23 Washington. All right. Joining us on the pod now is Logan Paulson. We love Logan's insight uh, and we'll get it on Cleveland versus Washington coming up here in a moment. But since I haven't talked to you and I haven't heard your reaction, not that it was a big surprise after Carson came in uh, uh, late in the game last Saturday. But what's your overall takeaway from Wentz in and Heineke out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like you said, I don't think anybody's surprised by this. I think this is something that's uh, been looming for quite a while now. And I think it's multifactorial. I think they want to get a little bit more juice from the quarterback position, but I also think they want to kind of finalize their evaluation of Carson Wentz and what he can do for them offensively and whether he's the answer for them moving into the uh, the 2023 season. So I think those are all things that are kind of factoring into this decision. And, you know, I expect them to, you know, kind of change what they're doing offensively. Uh, slightly, but I think they really should still embrace kind of the core of what they've been the last couple of weeks.
1: Okay, so putting the future aside, and let's just say it is multifactorial and that they want to see more of Wentz, which to me they shouldn't. It should be all about winning these final two games. Do you think they've given themselves a better chance to be a better team offensively and increase their chances of winning the final two games?
2: Um... You know, it's hard to say because when you look at the metrics and you look at the statistics, there you know Carson and Taylor are very, very similar. I do expect to see a different Carson than we saw earlier in the season. I think he's got a better understanding of the offense. I think just being around the system for you know these last six weeks, even though he's been hurt, is going to be very beneficial. I think seeing how Taylor executes the offense, I think I think seeing Taylor's relationship with um, Terry and how that can benefit the offense is also going to be beneficial. So I do think Carson will be playing better. It just depends on how much better. And I think, um, you know, one of the limiting factors to this offense is the offensive line and their ability to pass protect. And Carson, compared to Taylor, is not quite as effective in those, you know, pressure situations. So that's something that, again, I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I think he brings more to the table physically. I think being in the offense is going to be beneficial, but also the, the deficiencies that were there early in the season are still going to be there. And it just depends on, you know, maybe that extra understanding of the offense helps you get the ball out of your hand a little bit quicker. Helps you get the ball to all the playmakers, and you don't take as much pressure. But he's always been a guy who incurs a lot of pressure when he's playing the position. So I'm just curious to see, you know, whether those those things that I mentioned at the top of the, the hit are are enough to kind of push him and push this offense to a better spot, um, or is what we saw against Detroit, a lot of what we saw against Philadelphia. I'm not sure. I'll, I'll be excited to see, and I think Cleveland's a good starting for, spot for him because I don't think their defense is is very very good.
1: You you know, you mentioned, and I think, you know, Scott Turner mentioned it, and I think we've even talked about this previously, you know, and contemplated whether or not the first six games were him, you know, not being totally comfortable with the offense yet. Maybe he is further along in his comfort level with the offense. Certainly listening to Scott, you would think that that's true. And let's just assume that it is. Wouldn't you also add to that, that the team around him is better than it was in the first six weeks?
2: Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, specifically the defensive side of the ball right. it allows you to change your offensive philosophy. Now you can be a little bit more conservative. You don't have to win games thrown... All over the yard and be in this dynamic offense, you can be a little bit more conservative offensively, which, again, if you're more conser- conservative offensively, usually that translates to the quarterback position. You're not putting him in these high leverage situations. It's okay to punt the football because your defense is playing extremely well. And I know everyone looks at the scoreboard last week and says, oh, 37 points, that's not very well. But when you look at the breakdown of the game and the game flow, Say Actually, that 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 group did some really nice things against a very uh, potent offense with a 49er. So I think the defense is still playing well. Lean into that. Special teams are playing well. Lean into that. I think there's going to be this kind of gut instinct if you're Scott to say, I want to do X, Y, Z. I want to get back to my dad's offense. I want to get back to the offense that I know really well and get away from this kind of play action, run first approach. But I think that would be a mistake. I think the, the structure of the team at the moment, Indicates that yeah, you want to be a little bit more conservative. Find your play action shots. I'm not saying never drop back pass, but like be be very selective about those situations because the group has struggled a little bit. Uh, the offensive line in particular has struggled when when those uh, when those types of plays have been called. So hundred percent agree and I think
1: that's gonna benefit him tremendously. Well you've answered the question that and that is you'd like to see them stick with the same formula. And and by the way, and we'll get to this yes. in a moment, the Browns and Cowboys, the Browns in particular, really struggle against the run. So, you know, whether it's Heineke, Wentz, or Doug Williams playing quarterback, they should be <laughs> they should be trying to run the football. You know Sunday I, I, I will get to that in a moment because I want to hear what you say about the Browns I totally agree with you by the way on the defense you know I heard you know the 37 points they were one for five against the, uh, in in the red zone the 49ers were they got short field after short field and the defense held them to field goals and I actually thought they did an outstanding job against the run with the exception of the McLeod jet sweep touchdown I mean you take that one run out of there yeah. you know I we could say that about a lot of games but that one run was a little bit unique they, they did an outstanding job against the run. I thought they played pretty well for the most part. So, um, I, I want just a last thought. Not that, you know, there isn't a chance that he won't play again, because there is. But I've kind of sensed from talking to you the half dozen times we've talked this year that you have really thought that Taylor Heineke's made the most out of the opportunity and that he played better than not. Um, what's your lasting impression of these nine games that he started? What what is your thought on him, not just on the nine games that he started, but what he is for this team or anybody else in the future?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think he's shown that he can win you football games if the situation's right, and I think that's what you want from a backup quarterback. And I think he's got, I don't want to say a ton of special, but enough special to make you excited. You know, like he made a play in that 49ers game where – it's like a boot play action where he like kinda right. get, he like he locks eyes with Joey Bosa, escapes the pocket, gets the perimeter, and delivers a dime to Jahan. So he does have a little bit of that to him. He elevates the playmakers. He, he seems to do well in, in kind of high-pressure situations. And I think there's a spot for a guy like that on this team. And if they choose to go a different way, definitely in the NFL. So, um, you know, is he going to be someone's starter next year? Is he going to be this team's starter next year? No. But should he be on the roster? Yeah, I think he's deserved that. He's earned that right. And you see kind of the value of having a backup who can win you games. And, you know, obviously people say, well, he's not elevating the offense or whatever, but that's what a backup is. And I think uh, he's shown enough and he's done enough and he's, been, uh, he's shown enough charisma with the guys in the locker room that you say, man, I want him to be a part of this team, and I think he's 100% uh, earned that opportunity.
1: What's your sense, by the way, on the locker room? We had a lot of conversation about this. You know, at five one and one, you can't you know you can't bring Wentz back. By the way, he wasn't even ready to come back at five one and one. He was only active for the last two games. Um, but that aside, you know, there was this discussion of Ron potentially losing some of the locker room if he made that switch. Um, but uh, over the last three weeks, they were o two and one. There were you know, turnovers, critical turnovers. What do you think? You're out there. You're close to it. What do you think the reaction from the team is, and specifically the offensive players?
2: I mean, obviously, outwardly, everyone's excited to have Wentz back. And I do think that, uh, you know, like you know this, Kevin, like covering the team for a long time and being around the league for a long time, if you win games, you're putting yourself in a position to, be, <clears throat> to, to, to win the locker room, to own the locker room, right? So when Taylor's winning, everyone's happy, everyone's excited. But all of a sudden, you go on a little bit of a skid, and there's a little bit of you know, oh, maybe is this the right decision? And so obviously, like this, the fact that they haven't been you know winning games the last couple of weeks makes this decision so much easier. It makes people so excited to kind of make this playoff push, and uh, and win these last two games. So I think that's that's as much a part of it as anything. It's just the record. Um, over the last couple of weeks and how that kind of just makes these transitions a little bit easier, um, you know, because ultimately, like, winning cures everything. So if Carson comes out, looks great, wins this game, I think everyone's going to be super excited. If he struggles, I think you might hear some kind of, you know, why did we do that? Why, why did we make this switch if we're going to get the kind of same production from a guy who's much more kind of dynamic in the locker room?
1: All right. Last question on the two quarterbacks um, on Wentz specifically, if Scott Turner stays, you know, disciplined to the formula that worked and allowed them to have, you know, basically take the Houston game out of the equation and maybe the San Francisco game, but most of those games be coin flip games and win the majority of them with Taylor Heineke. If he sticks to that formula, is the change to Carson Wentz a net positive, net negative, or net or uh, net? neutral
2: yeah i think that's the perfect way to phrase that question i do think if he keeps the same formula it'll be a net positive i think it allows you to get to some different stuff from a passing game standpoint specifically from a play action passing game standpoint like one of the things that sticks out to me is you know taylor did a great job with the play action pass stuff obviously his he was very productive in those specific play designs but he is limited by his arm strength so you kind of have to scheme plays that speak to his arm strength right so i look at the san francisco game for example and i know there was a holding call in this play but Jahan on the double move has a step on the defender the ball's a little under thrown Jahan makes an excellent play but if carson's in there is that a touchdown right is that an opportunity for this team just to kind of skip the red zone entirely same thing with the terry play so i think you'll see more hopefully you'll see more plays like that hopefully you'll see those types of connections and obviously that's not a sure thing you know carson's got a Work through some rust of not playing a lot of football and kind of develop those relationships. But I do think it'll be a net positive.
1: Um, how crucial Sunday, before you tell me about the Browns, is that they're healthy uh, secondary wise with Cam Curl, Derek Forrest uh, is on the injured list, Benjamin St. Juice still on the injured list. Is, is this a big part of the matchup with Cleveland, them being healthy specifically in the secondary?
2: Oh, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, one of the reasons the defense has been playing so much better is because the secondary has been playing so much better. They've just done a great job of kind of galvanizing that group, and Cam Curl is a big part of that. Benjamin St. Juice in the lineups, a big part of that. Obviously, you know, you mentioned uh, Forrest and his, his role and his development. Like, he's becoming an outstanding football player. So having not having those guys is a big deal because I think it limits what Jack wants to do and what he feels comfortable doing. Like, if you look at the last couple of weeks, where they've been a a little bit banged up in the secondary, a lot more quarters coverage. That's not what they want to major in. They want to major in this cover three zone match, bring pressure on third down, man-to-man type stuff on third down, and they've kind of gotten away from that. And I know Jack's been really good about kind of mixing in some coverage wrinkles, even that stuff he's not as comfortable with. I think you look at the touchdown last week, the first touchdown at George Kittle, they're getting into their cover two invert there, and you can tell Forrest isn't, really super proficient at it, right? Because Cam, that's Cam Curl's thing. And so those types of things make it really challenging. And, you know, everyone thinks of Cleveland as a run-first offense. I personally think that they're kind of transitioning to kind of giving Deshaun Watson more responsibility. And if that's the case, they do have weapons on the outside that are kind of scary and uh, they can make plays. And when you watch Deshaun... Uh, you know his high-level throws, like, are about as high-level as they can possibly get. Now they're not as consistent as they as they were when he was in, you know, 2020, and he was one of the best players in the NFL. But if that's the case, and that's what they're moving to, like, that's going to be a big deal on Sunday this weekend.
1: Uh, By the way, real quickly, on that first George Kittle touchdown pass, you just described that as an inverted – because Cooley explained to me, he's like they show single high and then they basically invert it to to cover two. Um, That's that's what happened on that play, right? Yeah, that's
2: absolutely what happened on that play. I mean, like, so basically what – yeah, go
1: ahead. My question is because I said, and I don't know if I'm right or not, wasn't that pass intended for McLeod and George Kittle just stole it, or am I wrong?
2: Um, it looked like the – I mean, you know, they were both open, so it could have been either way. I think the play design is probably supposed to go to McLeod. Right. But I think when that invert happens and those guys stay super wide, those those half players stay super wide, I think um, Purdy's probably like, uh, I'll hit my best player. You know, I'll hit George Kittle for a touchdown. So. Um, I think that was a pretty significant coverage bust, obviously, and I think when that happens, you know, both those dudes are open. Whoever catches it catches it, and, uh, you know, George is the
3: beneficiary of that. (laughs)
1: Right, you mentioned, um, you know, that you've seen maybe more of an emphasis to get Deshaun Watson untracked as as a passer. Um, You know, the the numbers haven't been favorable. It was ugly early. I've talked to now. I had Joe Thomas on the radio show this morning. I had Mary Kay Cabot from uh, the Cleveland Plain Dealer. They both they both said that it's been progressively better, um, and that last week's game, you know, was just horrible weather conditions. I mean, it was two degrees above zero and like. 30 below with the wind, um, and it was just a tough game. But um, you've watched, I'm sure, a lot of Browns this week. So what are the keys to beating Cleveland Sunday?
2: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I've had to watch a lot of Browns football. But, you know, like <laughs> I think the thing that sticks out to me about that uh, New Orleans game is everyone says, oh, he regressed in that game. And I think, you know, he had a completion percentage of 49.5%, which is not very good. But if you take the adjusted completion percentage, which accounts for drops, yeah. He's at 75, you know, so obviously he was playing at a high level. He made some throws at the end of that game that, you know, are top ten plays from the year if they're completed, and he's putting the ball in the right spot and the receivers are dropping them. And so that makes me a little bit apprehensive. Obviously, like, everyone thinks Nick Chubb. This team is driven by Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Uh, since Deshaun Watson has started, they've kind of gotten away from what Nick, uh, Nick Chubb does well, which is kind of get in the dot, run downhill – tactile line of scrimmage and cut, which, which I think is a little bit confounding because you want your best players doing what they're very good at, but they've kind of gotten into this, you know, pseudo, you know, sidecar gun run stuff to kind of emphasize the quarterback as a runner. I think they're kind of growing a package there. Maybe hey, you know, we've got a little RPO off of this and all of that stuff. I think is building for the future. It Just kind of depends, in my opinion, about how quickly they install all the things they're looking to install because. If Deshaun keeps kind of on this trajectory, it's going to be very, very challenging for this defense to stop him, uh, given the kind of health of the secondary at the moment. So uh, I'm a little bit concerned. I think the, the the shape of this game is changing the more and more I watch. And uh, it's definitely going to be a battle if Deshaun plays at the level he, he seems to be you know, predicted to play out this
1: weekend. I mean, I, I look at their team and I, I guess I'm not considering Deshaun this way right now, but I should, because I've always been a fan of his, um, you know, before all of the, the personal stuff, yes, but, right. the, but the two best football players in this game might be Miles Garrett and Nick Chubb. And there are some good players, right. you know, on Washington side and Nick Chubb has taken over games. Uh, Miles Garrett's taken over games. So wouldn't stopping Nick Chubb unless you're right and they're going to try to get Deshaun Watson, you know, into a a kind of get him ready really for 2023 in these final two games. Um, But I would imagine that, you know, uh, making sure Miles Garrett doesn't wreck the game and Nick Chubb doesn't run for 175 are two keys.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I was talking to Grant Paulson about this the other day. I do think that this defense is kind of, uniquely qualified to stop Nick Chubb. They seem to do well with teams that have conventional running attacks that want to run right at them. They obviously have those two outstanding defensive tackles that can win single blocks, that can beat double teams. Shaman's playing better. John ridgeway has been a nice addition. So I'm not as concerned with the Nick Chubb element. I think you know, he's an outstanding player and he's going to get his. But, you know, like I said, over the last probably four weeks when they've kind of changed their philosophy – he's been less efficient, right? And I think his efficiency is obviously scheme-driven a little bit, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me as to why you do that. But I'm okay with that because I think it bodes well for Washington. The Miles Garrett thing is is scary because when you watch that guy, when you watch his highlights, I mean, it's hard to imagine a more athletic, more dynamic, more explosive football player on the planet. Obviously, there's guys who have been more productive this year, and I think a little bit of that's because his play consistency is a little bit up and down, Miles Garrett I'm talking about. But, man, he is a very, very talented football player. And obviously, this offensive line has struggled against elite pass rushers. And he is about as elite as you can possibly get. So um, I think that obviously, you know, Nick Chubb, a little bit more manageable. Miles Garrett could absolutely wreck this game. And that's another reason I think that I, w- I would prefer it if Scott kind of leaned into a more conservative game flow because you don't want to have to deal with Miles Garrett multiple times in this game if you're Leno and Lucas.
1: Sounds like you're concerned.
2: Uh, I mean, like, like I mean, the thing I would say is people say, "Oh, you sound concerned." Like this team is one game worse than than we are. <laughs> right, the way in total
1: wins. That's and, true.
2: Yeah, right. So it's not like there's this drastic discrepancy between the two teams, right? And I, I know their defense is not playing well. They've had a lot of coverage busts. There's a lot of malcontent on that side of the football. And you can tell that um, they've got some very talented young pieces, but they're still growing into the defense, kind of like the Commanders' defense was last year. And um, and they're they're growing in that capacity. They've got a very talented offensive line. They've got some skill pieces that scare you. And if the quarterback, you know, this is the big X factor. If he plays like on this kind of ascending trajectory that he has been the last four weeks, like he will play well this weekend. And can this team handle? an elite quarterback. And not that he's going to be, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, but he will be the best quarterback that they've played since Kirk Cousins. And I think that that is a very interesting dynamic, especially given, you know, kind of the struggles that the commanders have experienced the last couple of weeks. So can Ron motivate them? Can they motivate themselves? And can they put their best performance forward? And, and so all those questions kind of looming over this game, yeah, it makes me a little bit nervous.
1: So do you have a prediction?
2: Um. I'm going to predict Washington wins 21-20. to 20. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think uh, they figure out Deshaun. I think he gives you a turnover. I think Wentz gets you a couple big plays, and I think the defense plays outstanding overall. But I think it's going to be
3: very, very close.
1: All right, last one real quickly, just because of the news of yesterday. Derek Carr now looks like he'll be available. How much of an upgrade would Derek Carr be over what they have, and would you make a run at him with this team um, in the off season,
2: I mean, I think this is a very, the commanders organization is a very nice landing spot for a quarterback like Derek Carr. I think the one thing that gives me pause about Derek Carr is he seems to go through these, these ebbs and flows in a way that makes me nervous, right? And they seem to be characterized about him learning new offenses, right? So you have a couple, a year where he looks outstanding, like 2021, I thought, man, this guy, would be a tremendous addition to this roster. And then you watch him this year, and he doesn't even look like the same player. And so I want someone who's going to be consistent in scheme and consistent in approach, and isn't going to cost $40 million to bring in here. So, um, you know, and if he is going to cost $40 million, I want him to change the roster in a positive way. I don't want him to be an albatross around the roster. And so that would be my one concern about that. I definitely think they should investigate it, I definitely think they should kick the tires on that. Um, You know, he seems to perform better when he's got dynamic skill position guys. And, you know, this, you know, it's well-storied. This skill position group is one of the best in the NFL, you know, across the board. So get him in here. It's going to elevate him. Obviously, there's going to need to be some stuff done to the offensive line to kind of elevate that group. But, yeah, I think, you know, I would definitely investigate. But the one thing that gives me pause is this idea of his lack of consistency season to season. Like, which Derek Carr are you going to get?
1: Logan Paulson, everybody. Take Command Podcast with Craig Hoffman. He's on Instagram. You can follow him at Logan underscore Paulson 82. All the work he does for NBC Sports Washington, uh, for the radio station, uh, as part of the pregame show with Craig, which I'm a part of as well for a segment on Sundays before the games. Thanks. Happy New Year to you, and I'll talk to you Sunday.
2: Yeah, thanks, man. Happy New Year. I look forward to talking to you this weekend.
1: Logan Paulson, everybody. Always a pleasure uh, to talk to and hear his insight. Uh, Smell test next. Tim Murray will jump on with us as well, and we will discuss the two semifinal games uh, tomorrow uh, between Michigan and TCU, and then Ohio State in Georgia. We'll get to that right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is
4: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as J.J. does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: All right, we will finish up this show with uh, a very lengthy smell test here uh, in a moment, which will include an early game, which I gave out early in the show for those listening early in the show so that they didn't have to wait until the end of the show. But I did give out Maryland plus one and a half and under Maryland NC State. Uh, in the Dukes Mayo Bowl under 46. Our guest right now is my good friend Tim Murray, co-host of Vizan Live Primetime, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, with Sean King, longtime uh, NFL quarterback. Uh, Timmy's living out in Vegas with Aaron Oster, who produces this podcast, and doing his show from the beautiful uh, Circa um, Sportsbook uh, in, uh, in Vegas. So, You don't like my Maryland pick. Usually you and I are on the same page. You like NC State today. Why?
3: I do. Um, And I don't know. You know, Ohio State, which we'll get to here in just a moment, fits all the characteristics of of how we bet. I kind of more or less throw out a lot of our bowl betting or our betting philosophies during bowl season. I don't think a ton of them necessarily just subscribe to it um however i, I just you know for this in particular instance i'm not saying it's my favorite play of bowl season and and you know you could end up certainly being right i, I just think nc state whose bowl game got canceled the day of last year you've heard about all the opt-outs for maryland i just think when it comes to this game i'm going to roll with nc state nc state's got a lot of quarterback questions and you know they, they've got issues themselves but i i just i like Playing the motivation side of things a lot come bowl season, so that's why I'm uh, I'm rolling with NC State. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. I, I I haven't I haven't seen a ton of line movement. That's not why. probably why this isn't a game that I you know I think is. I'm a little surprised that you're on this game to be honest.
1: Well, I you know you know I have not been playing a lot of the bowl games, um, and I, I I haven't because I can't deal with the keeping track of who's in, who's out, coaching changes, et cetera. So the games that matter, the two tomorrow, which we'll get to in a moment, there is one that clearly fits the bill. Oh yeah, um, and it's Ohio State plus less than a touchdown by the half point people to get it to seven because everybody likes Georgia and Ohio State. The last time we saw them was you know, losing, um, you know, to Michigan. Um, but I, I, I haven't had a really good feel for the bowl games. I just know that the, the opt-outs that Maryland has, that they've got other really good athletes at those positions that they've been pretty bullish on, especially the wide receivers. And, and uh, you know, Loxley did really a, a really good job last year getting this team ready for its bowl game, which they destroyed Virginia Tech in. That was also a recruiting kind of a game. I think he views the ACC schools in the same way. Um, plus, the public is backing NC State to a certain degree, um, which is why it's a smell test pick. But anyway, enough about Maryland and NC State. By the time most people listen to this, the game's yeah. already over anyway. All right. Um, really by the way, how have you been doing on bowl games so far, betting-wise?
3: Um, can I be honest? It's been the best run of my life.
1: Really? I didn't know that. You had um, Washington last night. I know you had, I know you had them. That, that was a winner.
3: Um, we do a podcast. You can go check it. I'm not lying. Uh, so far on the podcast, we give out you know, our, our official plays. We talk about all the bowls. We give out official plays. I'm six and zero so far. So uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, you know, it's just it's just nice to have a, a run. You get hot. You know, you know how it is. As a basketball player. You just it's where you get hot from three or whatever it is. So. Uh, it's been a good run. I'll just say that.
1: So before we get to the semifinal games, then knowing that you're six and oh on your official bowl picks, uh, what do you have left? What do you like today? What do you like tomorrow? What do you like Monday?
3: To be honest with Kevin, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Ohio state here momentarily. Um, I didn't think I'd be on that side. I'm going to be on that side, so that definitely would be, you know, one to throw in there. Um, I didn't give this out on my podcast. The people I respect is, are on this. Um, you know, Purdue, LSU under, I think is something to look at with all the opt-outs that Purdue and now LSU is going to be thrown in there. So that's something to look at as well. And then I'm on NC State against you. And like you said, you know, by the time this gets out, the game's probably going to be in the fourth quarter. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. But, yeah, the remainder of the bowl season – I really you know, I really like the early bowl games, the motivation angle. Um, you know, I loved Duke earlier this week against Central Florida. I thought that was, you know, one team incredibly motivated, one team not. Sometimes you get lucky. Look, I had Kansas, so yeah, I'm not gonna sit here and say, Oh, I told you they'd cover against Arkansas. So sometimes you get a little lucky too. So yeah, it's just it's just been a good run here. Um, you know, Texas Tech I thought was a team that'd be incredibly motivated. Uh, playing in Texas, first year under their head coach. So, um, you know, the motivation angle for me has worked out pretty well so far this bowl
1: season. All right. Uh, Tulane doesn't interest you? I'm surprised that Tulane isn't a big, you know, being yeah. one-and-a-half-point dogs against the the Heisman Trophy winner in Southern Cal.
3: Yeah, it's just, to me, that game, you mentioned the uncertainty. Um, you know, is Caleb Williams playing? I, I wouldn't, I'll say this, I would not play USC. Um, and we got time, man. We got time. To be, I get time to be Tulane can throw it. it.
1: They can throw it. They can score. And USC hasn't stopped anybody all year. I guess that's why. Well, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you,
3: I'll, I'll tell you this, Kevin. Um, and if people watch Utah, UCL, USC, I, I believe Utah was a part of the smell test because yeah. that was one of the most contrarian plays of the, of the year. Um, Utah, USC can't tackle. And, you know Tajay Spears if you're looking for you know who to watch in that game from Tulane Tajay Spears is a pro uh, he's the running back for Tulane he is an absolute stud and if he gets into the second level <laughs> USC's not tackling with that secondary and how they tackle so yeah i could certainly be convinced on uh on Tulane and i'm not saying i wouldn't play it but uh, as of right now I haven't uh, I have not played that
1: game all right Uh, let's talk about the 2 semifinal games and I'll get you out of here Um, let's start with the first one Michigan and TCU Michigan's so impressive it's so impressive against Ohio State and then again against Purdue in the Big Ten title game what a turnaround when you think about where Harbaugh was about 14 months ago, I guess. Uh, Everybody wanted him out. Now he's got um, multiple wins over Ohio State. And who knows, maybe an opportunity for a third one. Can you imagine Michigan and Ohio State? I was talking to Scott about this. If we get a Michigan-Ohio State final, the pressure on Ohio State, Buckeye Nation, I don't think they'll be able to breathe before or during that game. Because (laughs) I I just, I, I would think that the entire Ohio state system would completely choke and break down. And I, I think I'd have Michigan in that one, but anyway, um, let's go to the first semifinal game, Michigan, TCU. Do you give my Horn frogs a chance?
3: Yeah, that's right. It's your squad. It's your, it's where your son went. Yep. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I, I go back to, you know, people I respect and a, a lot of them, you know, think that TCU has a chance here. Um, I haven't personally played this game, but just as for how I think this will unfold, Kevin, look, we've had 16 playoff games, or, yeah, 16 semifinals. Only three have been decided by single digits. They have pretty much all been snooze fests. And I look at Michigan in the way that they want to play. They just want to bully you, and I think they have the ability to do that, um, you know, Sonny Dykes has proven that he's a really damn good coach, and Max Duggan is a, is a baller. Um, my worry and hesitation for your beloved Horned Frogs there <laughs> is that Michigan <laughs> is going to do kind of what Georgia did to them last year or what Alabama did to Cincinnati, which was to say, we've got better athletes, we've got arguably the best offensive line in college football, and we're just going to lean on you all game and make you kind of tap out. So, you know, TCU has played it close to the vest all year long, right? The Sharps have been betting against them all year long. They ended up closing as an underdog as a 12-0 team in the Big 12 championship against Kansas State on a neutral. So it kind of goes to show you where, you know, how the betting people believe in TCU. Um, I haven't seen a ton of line movement here in, in this game. I, it, it, there will be a blowout. There probably could be two, um, but I, I think if there is a blowout, this one is the more likely of the two to be a blowout. Um, you know, obviously Blake Corum is out for Michigan, but it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, Donovan Edwards went for two twenty against Ohio State, and I think he went for like a buck seventy against Purdue, Kevin. So you know, they, this Michigan team is, is rolling right now. Um, you know, like I said, personally I haven't bet this game, but I would be pretty surprised if TCU emerged New Year's Eve as uh, as a team headed to the championship.
1: I think I would, too. I think what gives TCU some hope is the way Purdue moved the football at times against yep. Michigan in the Big Ten title game. Um, they you know they they rolled up yards they rolled up first downs um, not enough points to keep the game you know super uh competitive uh, and you know the big concern with TCU is can they stop anybody I mean they stopped Texas remember nobody thought they were any good defensively and then yep. they were that big dog against Texas and by the way we were all on Texas in that game mm-hmm. um, and it was their best defensive performance of the year I think their best uh, overall performance may have been offensively against one of the better defenses in the country in Iowa State which came late in the year um I don't know there's something about that team and the I think the smarts and the heart of the quarterback in particular that I wouldn't put it past them for this game to be more competitive than we think and if we like if I were to say say to you this is a game that's decided by seven points or less so that TCU Covers, wouldn't you think it had to have been a high-scoring game that they were able to move the football and score and match Michigan? Yeah.
3: I do. However, the game you just mentioned, Texas was weird. BCU was seven, it was seventeen to ten. I know, and I think, and,
1: and there was the, a defensive touchdown.
3: Yep, and my hesitation in this game and why I haven't played it is, I love the coaching staff that that uh, that Sonny Dykes has has put together down there. Uh, Joe Gillespie, the defensive coordinator, you mentioned the game plan that he put out there for um, you know, the game against Texas. Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's brother, is the offensive coordinator down there. Both of these assistants were Broyles Award finalists uh, for the best assistant coach in college football. I mean, Sonny Dykes put together a hell of a staff, and the name of the game is quarterback, and J.J. McCarthy's more talented than Max Duggan, but Max Duggan Basically took that team on his shoulders in the Big 12 Championship and somehow you know down I think 18 got it into overtime. So yeah, that's probably my biggest reasoning why I'm not sitting here and saying Michigan's going to thump them. Lay the seven and a half. So TCU's got a lot of those you know, and I heard it all year and it drove me crazy. But I'm going to say it. They've got a lot of that it factor. They're really gamer. You know all that crap that you hear all the time. Well, they just figure out how to win, Kevin. But that's kind of what they are. So uh, they got great coaches. They've got a badass at quarterback. Uh, they do have a a first round pick at wide receiver, Quentin Johnston, that I do think could make some differences and could give Michigan some trouble. Because remember this: Ohio State was moving the ball in the first two three quarters, and the last you know quarter and a half was when Michigan kind of imposed their will against Ohio State. Ohio State was winning at halftime. If I remember correctly. So well, they were only up like, one on
1: Purdue at halftime in the Big Ten title game, wasn't it? 17 thirteen, yeah, th- wasn't it? Seventeen, sixteen, or fourteen, thirteen, or something like that. Think it was. I Think so.
3: Yeah. And then, I mean, they needed a game-winning field goal against Illinois to win yeah. the game uh, at the gun. They they were they were back and forth with Maryland, and they don't so, have Blake Corum. Yeah, they don't have Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards, like I mentioned, is an absolute stud, but they don't have two. They don't have two running backs, and, and one was maybe going to be a Heisman finalist if he doesn't get hurt you know, late in the season. So, yeah, I think you could talk yourself into TCU. I'm not going to be on TCU. Uh, if anything, I'd be on Michigan here just because we've seen these types of games unfold in playoffs before. However, like we've kind of talked about, I think TCU has, is certainly capable because of what we've seen all year to keep this close.
1: I think my betting mind says if I was forced to play this game I'd probably lay the points and take Michigan and just say big line of scrimmage difference and we've seen that in these playoff games in the past as you mentioned you know 3 out of what 16 have been uh, single di- digit games most of them have been snoozer blowouts um but I I'm not going to play this game because I think TCU is totally capable offensively of of doing maybe what you know Um, what Purdue did in in the Big Ten title game, roll up a lot of yards and maybe, you know, make it pay off with more points and, you know, potentially lose like a 45 to 38 game, you know, something like that where they end up covering. I don't think they're going to win the game, though. All right, so... The nightcap uh New Year's Eve, Georgia and Ohio State, and I think that matchup really has a chance to be one of the all time television rating games. You know, mm-hmm. um uh, Michigan Ohio State game already was on that Thanksgiving weekend. I think it was the highest rated uh, college game on Fox in like, you know, twenty years or something. Uh why do we both why are we both gonna be on Ohio State beyond the notion of just the public's lined up on Georgia? Do we both... I'll ask you, and then I'll answer it. Do you think Ohio State has a chance to win the game? Yes, I do. I do. And why? I
3: I, I, I thought you... I was setting it up to be dramatic. I thought you wanted me just to give me one word answer there. Um, They got talent, man. Look, preseason, I know Jackson Smith and Jigba and Travion Henderson aren't playing in this game due to injury, but... You know, preseason, and maybe oddsmakers were were dead wrong, and maybe everybody was wrong about Ohio State. But this was an Ohio State team, and I remember having uh, Chris Andrews, who's uh, the sportsbook director at the South Point here in Las Vegas, came on my show in the summer and said, Ohio State is his highest power-rated team in the country, ahead of Alabama, ahead of Georgia. Now, he has since updated that, and Georgia is the best team in the country, and I think a lot of people... Expected a much bigger drop off for Georgia after a you know losing 15 starters to the NFL uh, like they did from last year's national championship team. But look, if this Ohio State team you know doesn't lose to Michigan, what's this spread, right? I guess they're not playing, so we're not having this conversation. But you know this team has got talent. They've got a quarterback who's probably going to be the second or third overall pick in the NFL draft. They've still got. Marvin Harrison, Jr., who I think was number two on Bruce Feldman's freak list in college football heading into the season. They've got weapons. Mayan Williams is going to be healthy. Um, you know They've got a really good defensive coordinator who you know got pants, certainly, in the end of that uh, Michigan game. But Jimmy Knowles was brought there to, to win national championships, be a difference maker defensively uh, for, this, uh, for this Ohio State team. And then let's get to it, the, the elephant in the room. The the number is just hanging out at six and a half, Kevin. And there's a reason it's hanging at six and a half. You know, public betting splits, depending on where you look, you know, 80 plus percent of the tickets are on Georgia. Public thinks this is just an easy victory. I'll just lay six and a half. I don't even have to lay a touchdown. Why wouldn't I do that? Be careful. You know, like I I say this a lot and I stole it from some odds maker. I apologize who it was. The line can tell you a story. And if it's two and a half, if it's three and a half, there are different reasons why those numbers kind of hang there at a particular spot. So I think Ohio State can win this game. Maybe this game gets to seven tomorrow because the world continues to file in on uh, on Georgia. But it's really, really interesting and telling to me, Kevin, that the number is just dangling out there at six and a half. The general public is just going to see that number and think, huh. Well, that's too, that's really easy. I'm just gonna grab the six and a half with the best team in college football. Ohio State shouldn't be in the playoff. The only reason they're there is because USC lost to Utah. They got their ass kicked against uh, Michigan down the stretch. All that's fair, but why is the number sitting there at six and a half? I think this is a weird weird game. Uh, yeah, if you could find a seven, you know, grab the seven. I think at time we'll get the seven. Uh, but Ohio State's going to keep this thing close. I really believe it.
1: Yeah, yeah. we'll pay the minus one twenty or whatever you got to do to to get it to seven. I um. So uh, I'm on Ohio State. Uh, I'm on Ohio State for the reasons that I'm on any team betting-wise. It's uh, you know the way I bet. It's a contrarian play. The world's on Georgia. Um, The bettors are looking, as you described, at the 6.5, and and it's just been dangling out there. Uh, They haven't moved it despite all of the action coming in uh, on Georgia. And, hell, they're probably going to need Ohio State big time on the money line to win outright as well. Uh, Talk a little bit more about that coming up. Um, But my analysis of the game is that Ohio State is really vulnerable defensively. I just think they haven't been very good on defense for a while. I mean, they basically, in their final two games against Maryland and Michigan, gave up 1,000 yards and 75 points. Penn State rolled up ridiculous yards and points, and if not for their turnovers, some of which were Ohio State force, don't get me wrong, but I think they were minus four in the turnover margin and still had a lead in the fourth quarter. I just don't trust Ohio State defensively. Um, So I'm concerned about that. Georgia's big and strong up front. They've got that tight end. They've got backs. Um, They've got a high IQ quarterback. Uh, I just think that Ohio State ends up covering in a high-scoring game in which Georgia can't keep up with Ohio State and what Ohio State can do in terms of explosive plays and scoring. So, Uh, But I am concerned, like I'm concerned about line of scrimmage. I'm concerned about Ohio State getting dominated up front um, and getting run over like their last two opponents did. And uh, and the game getting out of hand. Uh, you know, the, the contrarian, you know, going uh, against the public doesn't always work. And it hasn't worked, by the way, in some of these uh, playoff games uh, recently. Uh, I liked Cincinnati last year. That did not work very well. Um, and I thought they were the sharp side. But anyway, uh, I will stick with Ohio State, but I- I'm not – I'm not super confident in their ability to beat a team like Georgia when I think they are so average on defense, but I'm going to have them plus seven yep. <laughs> because it fits, uh, but they're going to have to score a lot of points so
3: well and, and, and last year in the Rose Bowl, that's exactly oh, what they, they did. did now the guy they who, did the guy who had 300 receiving yards in that game, Jack Digba is not playing. So, and neither is Travion Henderson who rushed for, you know, 500 plus yards. But look, they got guys, they've recruited at an elite level as has Georgia. Um, like what you said all makes sense. Georgia's a better football team. They've proven it this year. They've been battle tested. This game is in Atlanta. It's the third time they're playing in this stadium uh, for Georgia. Open the season 49-3 over Oregon. Ro- railroaded LSU here. Their last game. So it's a semi home game, right, for Georgia. A lot of familiarity. All that makes sense. All that is a reason why Georgia looks to be, you know, the side. But once again, that number is just as, you know, if people, you know, as more and more people get into betting, that number is just, just telling you something And I'll tell you, you
1: what why too is it hanging there? I'll tell you what too they, they will need the, the books will need Ohio oh. State outright too because of the money line action on Michigan and you will see uh, on, on uh, Georgia you'll see a ton of public money line parlays Michigan, Georgia uh, tomorrow. You'll
3: hear, you'll hear this you'll hear this all day, especially once again now that uh, betting is getting so more popular. And I bet you some people who are listening may have already got this in pocket, Kevin. It's going to be, well, why shouldn't I just money line Team. Georgia <laughs> and... Uh And Michigan together both
1: of them are going to win right exactly that way
3: it's that easy so
1: we'll see and 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 at the same time too there will be a ton of Michigan Georgia teasers where basically Uh, all they got to do is win the game um so you'll have a lot of that too so maybe Ohio State TCU money line parlay is the way to go tomorrow uh (laughs) good job enjoy the games I'll talk to you through you know throughout the weekend
3: all right, Kevin. Always a pleasure, man.
1: Tim Murray, everybody. Let's finish up uh, with my smell test. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash, and does the opposite. It's, it's time, time for the, for the smell, smell test. test. All right, this smell test is brought to you by my bookie. Go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code Kevin DC, and they'll double your first deposit, guys. All right, they'll give you free money. Deposit up to thousand dollars to get an extra thousand dollars into your account. Anything less than that, they'll double as well. You have to use my promo code Kevin DC. Uh, Ohio State sitting there at six and a half at my bookie. You want to buy a half point? You'll pay minus one twenty um, at my bookie. Uh, Michigan sitting there at seven and a half. Uh, If you want to lay the 7.5 and and get it down to 7, you're going to have to lay 120 on that. But 110 on a straight bet. Uh, Their pricing is fair. There are a lot of sites out there that are taking advantage of all of the new betters that are out there. MyBookie's not part of that group. Um, Point spreads are fair. VIGs are fair. Pricing is right. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. Even if you're already lined up with a spot, use it as a secondary source for line comparison. Um, and uh, for another place to place wagers and to take the free money. Kevin DC is the promo code at my a g all right uh smell test last week two and three. First losing week i think in nine weeks uh, overall 10 units plus side 86 76 and three on the season uh i gave out maryland plus one and a half in the under 46 in the duke's mayo bowl which has either probably already started or maybe already completed uh by the time you get to this uh that's why i gave it out in the beginning of the show uh that That may not have helped either. Um, Let me get to the rest of the weekend. Let's go tomorrow to an early Sugar Bowl on December 31st. K-State and Bama uh, in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans at 12 noon tomorrow. Another one of those six-and-a-half point spreads with the world on one side, the favorite, Alabama. K-State, the last time we saw them, they were pretty damn good in the Big 12 title game in overtime beating TCU. I'll buy the half point and take K-State plus uh, the seven uh, in that one. I was playing Kentucky in the Music City Bowl uh, tomorrow. Uh, that game's total is 32. There are some 31s out there, but you can find a 32 um, that game also starts at noon tomorrow. Both uh, the Sugar Bowl and the Music City Bowl are the games being played prior to the two playoff games, which will be standalone standalone games and their windows at four o'clock and eight o'clock. Iowa has been in some low scoring games the quarterbacks are out in this one Levis opting out he'll go into the NFL draft uh I was actually favored by two and a half in this game after uh, Levis dropped out this has 16-13 written all over it it's going to be painful I understand there's nothing worse than betting the under of a super low total and super low usually meaning like 40 or 41 not 32. Um, but, uh, the public likes betting overs, especially really low totals. So I'll take the under in the Iowa, uh, Kentucky game, um, Ohio state. I've already mentioned, uh, plus the seven buying the half point, uh, for the obvious reasons, everybody's on Georgia. So those are the three plays tomorrow, Sunday, I don't know why the Colts are five-and-a-half-point dogs and not more than that against the Giants in the Meadowlands. I know I gave the Colts out on Monday night, not even close. They're ugly to watch. Uh, Nobody's on them. I'll take them plus the five and a half. Uh, The Broncos gave up 51 on Christmas Day to the Rams. Nobody's playing Denver. They're in shambles. I'll take them plus the 13 at Arrowhead. The Saints are getting six and a half at Philly. Uh, The Saints still have a remote chance to win the NFC South. Man, they are good on defense. They are really good defensively. Eagles can clinch the NFC East with a win. Public pounding Philadelphia, and that line just dangling like the Ohio State Georgia line at six and a half. I'll buy the half point and play the Saints plus seven. I don't know why the Jets are favored at Seattle. I know Mike White is back. Still, I think that line should be Seattle minus one. The Jets are one and a half one and a half point favorites. I'll take the Jets laying the point and a half. Um, Cleveland is a smell test pick. Uh, they're getting two. Everybody's on Washington. There is some sharp money on Cleveland. I gave you my final score prediction, 24-23. So that's a Washington win, but a Browns cover. Uh, that's a tough uh, inside uh, inside straight to hit uh, when you're only getting two and you want the uh, you want the favorite to win, but you're on the underdog plus two. 24-23 Washington, Browns cover. Uh, Monday night... Uh, actually, Monday during the day, right? Cotton bowls during the day. Tulane plus one and a half against Caleb Williams in USC. I don't know what Caleb Williams' condition is. I do know this. SC stinks on defense, and Tulane can really score. Uh, that line is way too short. Uh, the public just thinks it's wrong. I'll take Tulane plus one and a half. So, finishing up the smell test. Maryland plus one and a half, and the under in the Mayo Bowl in Charlotte today, under 46. Tomorrow, Kansas State plus seven. Iowa, Kentucky under 32, Ohio State plus 7, buying the half point. Sunday, the Colts plus 5.5, the Broncos plus 13, the Saints plus 7, the Jets minus 1.5, and and the Browns plus 2. And then in the Cotton Bowl on Monday, Tulane plus 1.5. We're done. There is a chance... If I can get this done today, I'm waiting to hear back from a special guest. And if I can record this interview, I will run it tomorrow. I'll have the podcast out tomorrow to celebrate 50 years ago tomorrow. Washington winning the NFC Championship game against the Cowboys at RFK Stadium 26-3 to to advance to their first Super Bowl. So there's a possibility of another quick interview show over the weekend. Look for that. If not, I'll be back on Monday.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.